University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. We'll take a look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verse 4. Now, sometimes it's difficult to see clearly where God is leading, both in our lives as individuals and as a faith community. Obscurity and sometimes a lack of precise step will often lead us to frustration and confusion and miscues, and sometimes an unwillingness to even step forward in faith. The journey with Jesus is not a shot in the dark. It's not a glorified guesstimation. Instead, following Jesus is an invitation into an ongoing process of discernment. Discernment is about the collaboration of openness and receptiveness and creativity and spiritual formation, both in our lives as individuals and as our journey as a faith community. And this 2020 vision is uh, certainly not about certainty and precise outcomes. The 2020 vision is about faithfulness to God and to each other as a faith community. And through the 2020 vision, we are seeking to grow University Baptist Church in very strategic ways. The 2020 vision is not a, a marketing ploy, but a profoundly spiritual invitation for us to bring our best selves to God and to this faith community as we are seeking to exponentially grow our capacity to be the presence of Jesus to each other and in this community. And as we discern where God is leading, together we are invited to boldly step forward in faith. And for this, we take a look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verse 4. It's a peculiar story, but it goes like this. And Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they out of their surplus put into the offering. But she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Jumping into the context of the passage, Jesus is in a very heated debate with the religious leaders in the temple where they witness two acts of giving, a, a rich and a poor woman. The temple was the central economic uh, institution in Jerusalem. There would have been different giving stations in the temple, all to determine the type of offering you are giving and the type of person who is giving by gender or class or race. And it's oh so important for us to recognize who this woman is. For one, she is poor. The poor were the majority in Jesus' day. The poor were overwhelmingly taken advantage of by both the government and the religious system in Jesus' day. Second, she is a widow. The Hebrew law describes a widow as silent and unable to speak, left out of the prospect of inheritance. Widows became the stereotype of, of, of exploitation and oppression in Jesus' day. And in Jesus' day, the, a widow would have routinely been oppressed um, in disguise by the religious pious. She would have been uh, giving towards an unjust religious and economic system that was not set up in her favor. Yet the irony is that she gives to something that is not necessarily benefiting her. 
But despite what is being done to her, this woman is giving more with less. I love how Eugene put, uh, Peterson interpreted uh, Jesus' words and he put it this way. The plain truth is that this widow has given by far the largest offering today. All of these other made offering that they will never miss. She gave extravagantly from what she did not have, from what she could not afford. Jesus witnesses this woman give two small copper coins. The actual uh, word used here is lepta. It's a, give a little perspective. Um, it would take 128 leptas to equal a day's wage. And she only threw in two. So basically, she's giving nothing of value to the temple. And at the same time, Jesus says that her two copper coins, there are the rich that are throwing in out of their abundance. And yet Jesus says that she gives more out of her poverty. The word more used here is translated better, deeper, greater. She's giving more with less. Jesus is continuing the mindset of taking what, the way the world sees people, the world thinks about things, and he's turning it not upside down, but he's turning it right side up into the way that God desires for us to see. And for many, this is hard to understand. It's, it's a weird perspective for us to see as we look into it. Jesus reports that, that the rich are giving out of their surplus. The word used here means their excess, their leftovers, their overflow, their abundance. In other words, the rich folks were giving to God out of what they had left over after they had spent their money in the way they wanted to, invested it where they wanted to. They took the excess, the leftovers, the surplus, and they threw it into the offering. So their offering in fact, had no sacrifice involved. They did not give to God their best, but they gave to God what was left over. The amount of what we give to God has no bearing on the intent by which we give it. This is such an unpopular passage to preach on. In fact, if you were to study the lectionary text, it goes through Luke chapter 20, and it skips completely over these verses because nobody wants to preach about this. A few weeks ago, uh, I had a guilty pleasure that I wanted to fulfill in the office, and so I went to the candy jar. Many of y'all know where it is. We see you sneaking in there on Sunday mornings. And I found a Heath bar, and I, I took it back to my office, and I bit into it, and I immediately started weeping. Did, did I bite my tongue? Did I bite my lip? Did I, did I break a crown? Now, biting into this Heath bar took me back to my childhood in North Carolina, where every Friday after a long week of school, my family would go to this place called Goodberries. Goodberries was a custard uh, ice cream shop, and uh, there we would play outside. We would play hide and seek as the brothers. And every time I went, I got a Heath Bar milkshake. So when I bit into this Heath Bar in the office, I was flooded with the memory of climbing trees and spending time with my family. It's such a small investment my parents made for us to go and do this. We went on wonderful vacations. They give us priceless gifts at times at Christmas. But something about a Heath Bar shake and the memories of those small moments paid all the dividends in my life. I realized just how much my parents had invested in me. You see, I think that's the invitation of this passage. I believe what Jesus is trying to teach us is that this woman's gift is about bringing to God what matters most, which is bringing God our best selves. 
The rich in the story brought great monetary value to God, but it was merely their leftovers. This woman brought all that she had to give to God. She brought God her best self and she gave it freely to God without thinking twice about it. This woman, not the others, stand out in history in profound moment of generosity. And it's amazing what can happen when we bring our best selves to God. It would be easy for this widow in our text to to seriously doubt the value of what she brought to God. And for many, you're sitting here and you feel like you're in the same boat. You feel like you don't have any value by the world's standards of education or financial well-being or social standings or careerism or age or station of life or marital status or level of experience. But Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a mustard seed, a teeny tiny seed that can get lost in your hands. Jesus said that that tiny seed can mature and grow into a 20-foot tree. You see, you are a beautifully gifted, vibrant, and unique individual. Your personality and your passions and your gifts and your strengths are uniquely embedded within you to equip you to do so much in this world. You have a name. You have a story. You matter to God. And instead of looking at yourself out of a scarcity of what you think you don't have, what would it take for you to begin to see the abundance that you have, that God has uniquely equipped you with? And what would it take for you to bring your best self to God? As we get down to the heart of the story, the widow and the other givers we can easily lose track on the crucial action of the story as a result of debating the principle of the story. This story is about giving to God. And at the end of the day, this woman was coming to share with God her best resources because she believed that God could use her resources for God's beautiful and redemptive work in this world. You see, giving to the church is not an obligatory, rigid religious system, but an invitation for us to partner with God. In fact, when we bring our best selves to God, it is an invitation for us to share our best resources with the church. Except a recent study found that while congregations remain the largest recipient of charitable donations at 29%, giving to the church has declined over the last over the last 30 years by 50%. And what makes this story even more fascinating is that when many people, their takeaway is that people aren't giving their income to charitable work in the world. In fact, it's an assumption that since the church donations have been declining for the last 30 years, that people aren't giving to charitable organizations, but it's in fact the opposite. Except a study has found that, let's take for example, the millennial generation 94% of millennials are collectively giving an estimate of over $3 billion each year to charity. And they're giving, 67% of them are giving of themselves to volunteer to those organizations. It's not that people aren't giving to charity. It's that they're giving to charities they see and believe are making a difference in this world. And if people are giving of their resources and their time to causes that matter, maybe the church should rethink what it's doing and the type of impact it has on people's lives and in the community. Maybe the church should rethink the opportunities it is giving to all people to serve and to make a difference. 
You see, if we give to the church, we are believing that the work of God is important. As Henry Nouwen put it, giving and raising resources is first and foremost a form of ministry. It's a way of announcing our vision and inviting people into our mission. Generosity is believing that the ministry of introducing people to the love of Jesus is fundamental to our life. So when you give to UBC, you are giving to a community that is striving to see the kingdom of God grow by serving the needs around us, by equipping and encouraging Jesus followers to be his light in the world, to creating a safe space of belonging for all people no matter who they are. You are giving to strengthen the relationships of this beautiful thing called the community of faith. And yet, we see from this story, it's not just about giving our resources. There's so much more. And to pique our understanding of this, I want to read a passage from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It goes like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those being saved. So let's get this straight. The first church was a community of people who learned and prayed together, who ate meals together, who worshiped God together, who served together, who shared their resources with each other. And as if that wasn't amazing enough, the author of Acts says, and God grew them in numbers. What we can learn from the earliest followers of Jesus is that the church is an essential outlet for sharing our best selves with God. The church is God's living and breathing community within the world. The church is a movement of people of God's work in the world. The church is the community of people bringing the collective pooling of our gifts to bring transformation into individuals' lives to this community and to this world. The church is an essential part of our faith journey, one not intended to walk alone. You see, Paul compares the church to the body of Christ, stating that Jesus is the head, and each member themselves of the church make up the different body parts. We alone cannot be the body of Christ. I cannot alone be the nose and the armpit, the hands, the feet, and the toenails. Someone here is thinking, hey buddy, I'll tell you afterwards what part of the body you really are. (laughs) You see, the problem with Jesus' followers in the 21st century is that we have been convinced that the church is a consumer product. I come to you, you provide for me the best programs and opportunities for me, for my kids, for my teenagers, for what I need right now in this station of life. You give me the type of worship, the the people connections, and the services I want. I give you a tip called a tithe, and if you don't live up to my expectations, well, who are we kidding? There are literally hundreds of other options in town, or I'll just do this whole spiritual thing online. You see, while the church has postured itself as a consumer product in our lives, a good for paying for services, we've lost sight that the church is intended to be an essential outlet for sharing our best selves with God. We need the the church in our life to bring formation and transformation and empowerment. 
The church needs to be and to receive our best self for the transformation and empowerment and, 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 and formation of other people. You see, when, when we talk about sharing our best selves with the church, it's all too easy to get up, caught up on the word tithe or giving and offering and think that we have given all that we need to give. But this passage and this invitation is more than just sharing our resources. It's sharing our best selves with the church. This has been an exciting season in Baton Rouge. A team that, uh, that many expected to at least make one of the New Year's six bowls, played for, and won a national championship. Have you all forgotten that? Okay, all right. You all like, that happened? Oh, we forgot that happened. You see, this, uh, what this team accomplished this year, well, it will stay in fans' minds forever. And we do a lot of football in this town. Uh, from spring game to preseason chatter, from tailgating to watching games, from the morning, Monday morning game recap to the midseason preparation for next Saturday, football fans spend a lot of time on their teams. In fact, a 2019 study found that the average football fan spends a lot of time thinking, talking, and reading about football. You would be surprised to hear that it's 46 hours a month. 46 hours a month for the average football fan, that is the amount of time of talking, thinking, and reading about. That does not include watching and tailgating. In fact, if you were to add that in, the average football fan spends 82 hours a month on football. And if you're lucky enough to make it to the playoffs, then you have to ratchet that up to the next level. You see, when we're passionate about something, we are willing to pour our heart and our mind, our physical presence, our time and our money into it. You can call me a football fan. I eat, sleep, and have literally bled for football. I care deeply about my team, their successes, and the failures of my rivals. But why? Well, it's because I have all sorts of memories bound to the teams that I played for growing up. Memories of going to games with my grandparents, I can tell you the countless Gator Bowls in Jacksonville, Florida, because that's where my grandparents lived, watching no-name teams win a bowl that nobody cares about. It's memories, the joys of those moments. You see, football is a mechanism by which we find friendships and excitement and joy and a sense of victory or defeat if you're an Ole Miss fan, but that's not the point of what we're talking about this morning. The one Ole Miss fan in the group's like, I'm always picked on. Pick a better team. <laughs> what would it look like if we brought the overwhelming amount of time and energy and passion and drive to the church? I don't say that because my livelihood is based on a salary from the church. I don't say that because I've dedicated the last 20 years of my life towards being a minister. I don't say that in the way that some pastors do as a way of thinking that somehow guilting people into feeling a certain way is a motivation that will last in people's lives. I say that because I have found that when others brought their best selves to the faith communities that I have been a part of, radical change has happened in my life. I say that because I realize that when I have brought my best self to the faith community, Radical change has happened not only in my life, but in the lives of others. 
You see, bringing our best selves to the church is not about walking through the ritualistic motions of an hour to two and a half hours on a Sunday morning. I guess if you add in time of taking a shower and doing your hair, then you can add an extra hour to that. Or if you're a middle school boy, you kind of fall out of bed, spray on Axe body spray. It doesn't really smell good. Stop using it. You see, bringing our best selves to the church is believing in what we are doing here and that it matters. It matters that we learn to be more like Jesus, taking the time to study scripture and talk about how it applies to our lives. It matters that we participate in spiritual formation groups and in worship. It matters that we pause each week to give thanks in this space for all that God has done for us and as God is doing in the world. It matters that we express our gratitude through song and reflection and prayer and sharing of our resources. It matters that we need to be more like Jesus to each other, to this neighborhood, to this community, and to this world. It matters that we bring the compassion and grace and hope of Jesus expressed through things like our partnership with Highland Elementary School and Interfaith Federation and Cooperative Baptist Fellowships Together for Hope and Connect Groups and Soccer Academy and so much more. It matters that we have a sense of authentic community together because we cannot be the church unto ourselves. So investing in each other's lives matters. It's the strengthening not only of our journey, but the journey of so many other people. Jake Rigsby, Craig and Amy Andrews, Billy and Vicki Booth, Mark Presley, Maria Olds, Karen and Bruce Strickland, Fran and Steve Hunter, Ed McEwen, Scott Lee, Larry Ward, Diane Howell, Tony Casucci, Dennis and Susan Cotton, Jeff Olds, Terry Michael Knoll, Faith and Tom Beam, Carrie Patterson, John and Teresa Crawford, and Mary Lou Booth are a beginning of a very significant and yet incomplete list for me. This is a snapshot of the names of people who invested their lives into mine. They weren't teachers or coaches This is a list of names of people who just invested in the youth and college years of my life through Salem Baptist Church and Campbell University. This is an incomplete list that gives you a glimpse into those who who paid the time, who, who lived out their life to help me to become the person I am today. Who are the people on your list? Who are the people that shaped and formed you Maybe a more challenging question, who within this faith community would put you on their list as someone who's invested in them? You see, I think another thing I want us to see from this text this morning is that sharing our best selves is not just about giving our resources, not just believing that what we're doing here matters, but it's about investing and being present in each other's lives. This is what we see within the book of Acts. They're not dedicating time together because the church put it on a calendar and a newsletter. They're they're investing time together because they loved and cared about each other. As New Testament scholar Peter Block put it, the usual argument against the neighborly way is that we don't have time for that. Time to become incarnational is scarcity. No time is always the argument against collaboration, collectiveness, participation, and presence. You see, we see this from the early church. They shared their best selves by being present in each other's lives, and their presence helped bring transformation into their lives and the lives of the faith community. What would that look like for us? 
Let me introduce you to a very important piece of architecture. Ron, if you can put it up here. This is the uh, Tower of Mordor. You haven't seen it in town. Okay, this is the Tower of the Dark Lord Sauron. No? No? Okay. Okay, this is the Tower of the Wielder of the Ring of Power of the Lord of the Rings. Okay, let me just introduce you a little bit more into my nerdiness here. Okay, I'll save you a little bit of more time by not telling you the backstory, but show you this other picture here. A friend in college gave me this 3D puzzle of the Tower of Mordor. And this is an amazing gift for me as a Lord of the Rings dork. I immediately broke into the box and I started assembling this 409-piece monolith of Middle-earth. And I was about 307 pieces into this when I realized that there were some pieces gone. Did I leave some in the box? Did I drop them on the floor? Where are the 102 pieces that are missing? And so, thinking my buddy is playing a joke on me, I asked him where he hid the rest of them, and he replied, Oh, I, I see why this is on clearance in the store now. <laughs> you see, somebody had bought the puzzle and returned it without all the pieces inside, and so I had three quarters of the Tower of Mordor, and there was no finishing what I started. It went in the trash. What we can learn from the widow from our story, and certainly what we can learn from the early church, is that the church can only be successful when it leverages each person's best selves for the fulfillment of God's vision. Let that sink in for just a second. The widow was bringing her best self to the religious system that was bettering the lives of her community, of her people, of her neighbors. The members of the early church were bringing their best selves to the ministry of charity to those who were in need, to worship, to equipping people to live out God's work in the world, to the spiritual formation of Jesus' followers, and to the enhancement of their authentic community as the church. See, on a given day here at University Baptist Church, we are striving to meet the needs and the hurts and the joys of all people, both within and beyond our faith community. Whether that be through the 70 plus children and the families they represent in the Mother's Day Out program, the 25 plus families that visit the Family Tree Cafe on a weekly basis, the teenagers in this community, in our church that are finding spiritual formation, the children who are also finding this, the 60 plus children and their families who are participating in the soccer academy, the other families that are joining our church, we are seeking to be the presence of Christ in their lives, in our own lives. We are striving to enhance, to love, and to care for, and to nurture people of all ages, whether it be the traditionalist generation that built the foundation of where we are today, the baby boomers, the Generation X, or millennials. We are earnestly seeking to grow this congregation because we have the resources, the giftedness, and the passion within each person who is a part of our faith community. But we cannot boldly step forward in faith unless each person brings their best selves to who we are and what we are doing as a faith community. We need everyone not a select sampling of UBC to bring their best selves to who we are what we are doing, and where we are going. What part will you play in the success of this church? And I'm not talking to that other person in your section. I'm, I'm talking to you. What will you do to help this church become successful in what God has called us to?
See, looking at our passage from Acts, the selling of their land and homes, giving from what they had without question or second thought, this, this church challenges us to consider what we bring to God through the church. And the beautiful landscape I come and see every single day as I drive down Leeward here, I'm reminded of Neil Odenwall who brought his best self to make this campus look beautiful. The spiritual formation of children on Sunday mornings happens as a result of people like Leslie Kilpatrick and Rebecca Acosta who shared their best selves with our children. The ball field that now dozens of children are learning to play soccer twice a year and the community groups that share our space to learn baseball and football is the way it is today because of people like Bill Matthews who brought his best self to UBC. The musical soundtrack and the accompaniment of worship that happens every Sunday morning is a result of people like Kay Hawthorne who brings her best self to UBC. The spiritual formation of dozens upon dozens of adults in our church happened as a result of Susie and David Patterson bringing their best selves to UBC. And I can look around this space this morning and I can see dozens upon dozens of people who are sharing their best selves with UBC out of their love for God and belief in what we are doing here. What would it look like if we were a faith community where each person brought their best selves? Imagine the reach and impact in this community if each of us brought our collective selves and we leveraged that for the success of the church. Imagine how many lives can be transformed by the light and love of Christ through UBC. For our scripture this morning, we can see the remarkable invitation to bring our best selves to God through the church. Through the 2020 vision, we are seeking to bring our best selves to enrich the community we share together, to foster our spiritual formation, and to grow our congregation by reaching new people. And as we continue to discern God's leadership and where we are going, may we enter into a a collaborative partnership of openness and receptivity and creativity and spiritual formation. But above all this, may we boldly step forward, not into exact certainty or precise outcome, but bold faithfulness to God and to each other as a faith community.